0: This is Steve Zerker, you're at uh, Looking to the East on ThinkTech, our show that we have uh, twice a month looking at various issues from an Asian perspective. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, someone who I've been uh, interacting with now for a number of years, his name is Robert Eldridge. And uh, he's quite an esteemed individual, many, many accomplishments, uh, many books as he's published on a wide variety of subjects having to do with Japan and Asia. Just very briefly, Robert, I can't do justice to your accomplishments, but uh, I do want to mention you were formerly a professor at Osaka University, one of the finest schools uh, in Japan. And uh, you also were involved in the military service with the Marine Corps base in Okinawa for a number of years. Uh, currently, uh, you're a consultant and you run your own think tank uh, which is uh, called Robert Eldridge uh, Think Tank. So you're the president of that. So I I'm, know I'm, I'm missing many other th- accomplishments for you. You probably published a book or two in the last few months that I'm not aware of. I, I know you're just uh, so prolific in that area. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, great. <clears throat> so Robert mentioned he'd been on tech uh, before a number of years ago. So this is not his first engagement with us. So it's good to have, welcome you back. So thank Aloha. You for- Aloha. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> ThinkTech has been featuring the, the war uh, in Ukraine. Of course, it's a number one issue worldwide. It's uh, consumed the attention of countries like Japan uh, all over the world. Uh, the uh, This show's purpose is to, to take a look at this from the Asian perspective. And Robert is an expert in that area. Um, so Robert, um, just looking at what's gone on in the last couple of weeks, uh, are you beginning to see that there are ramifications or impacts uh, let's start specifically with Japan <clears throat> and maybe you can start with just briefly describing the the pre war relationship between Japan and russia Oh
1: great well, thank you again for having me and uh, it's good to to see everyone um uh, you know, in, in addition to my uh, time in Okinawa, I also spent one year uh, at Camp Smith uh, in Hawaii uh, with uh, Marine Forces Pacific, and um, that wasn't my introduction to Hawaii, but um, it was my uh, my time to fall in love with the. You know, with the uh, with the state, and I I long to get back there, uh, you know, in the future. So uh, I hope an opportunity comes uh, comes up for that. Um, but I've been based in Japan for the past 32 years, and so uh, your question about uh, Japan's you know relations with with Russia uh, really get at the heart of, of Japan's uh, foreign relations, uh, and. You know, as, as you know, and, and probably most of the listeners uh, and, and viewers know, uh, Japan's had a, a very, very difficult relationship with, you know, its northern neighbor um, and uh, has actually uh, been at war uh, with Russia uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, the most famous one uh, being 16, 17 years ago with the Russo-Japanese War in which uh, Japan won, barely, but, but it did win. And then more recently, uh, at the very, very end of World War II uh, and as a result of World War II uh, or the Soviet Union's entry into World War II, uh, a couple of major things happened. Uh, First of all, uh, uh, the former Soviet Union uh, violated uh, a neutrality pact that it had with, uh, you know, with with Japan. And so um, so, Japanese uh, really, really came to distrust uh, Russia, the Soviet Union, uh, in, in, in many ways because of that. Um, secondly, uh, the former Soviet Union, Russia today, uh, occupied uh, four uh, islands uh, in, off of Hokkaido, uh, which were historically Japanese. Uh, territory, Japanese islands, and quickly populated uh, the islands with uh, Soviet citizens, uh, and so um, I, I think there's some parallels with uh, Russian activities in Eastern Europe too in that in that regard, um, and uh, unfortunately uh, the. Essentially, the war had ended at that point, but the Soviet Union invaded those territories um, and have not given them back uh, over the past 77 years, although it had multiple opportunities to do so. Um, I'm very critical of Soviet Union, Russian foreign policy in that regard, uh, that they had many opportunities to restore you know, good relations with with Japan uh, if they had returned those islands, which are very little strategic benefit to to Russia. Uh, And a third issue that emerged from uh, the Soviet Union's entry into World War II was the the inhumane treatment of Japanese citizens that were in uh, Northeastern Asia. Uh, For example, uh, the Korean Peninsula, Manchuria, uh and um so you know immense uh human rights violations plus the treatment of the uh, Japanese prisoners of war uh, the Japanese soldiers uh, many of whom uh, weren't allowed to return until uh, essentially the mid-1950s and many of whom were uh, indoctrinated with with communist uh, ideology uh, when they were returned so they're basically like a you know fifth column inserted into Japan, uh, at that point. Um, and then post World War Two, uh, you know, Russian activities or Soviet activities with uh, in, uh, involvement in uh, domestic politics here in Japan, uh, you know, particularly with the Communist Party, uh, and to some extent, with the Socialist Party, um, as well as um, uh, spying activities, espionage activities within Japan. So Uh, The two countries don't have a particularly good relationship. And then I just saw on the news a few minutes ago that Russia designated Japan an unfriendly country. And so uh, it's it's only going to get, you know, get worse, I think. Um,
0: Is that as a result of Japan uh, sending supplies to Ukraine? I, I read that a few days ago that Japan has taken the initiative to provide, I, I don't think it was necessarily guns, but it was more um, support materials, like uh, uniforms and uh, some, I, I can't remember now, Robert, what it yeah. was, you uh, really helmets. remember seeing that article? Yeah, helmets, yeah, helmets, helmets things and, like that. and flak mm-hmm.
1: gear, yeah. Um, yeah, and also participating, uh, you know, quickly, rapidly in the sanctions. And the, the sanctions, sanctions, yeah, are mm-hmm. having a huge right. uh, impact, I think, on, on Russia. And so, um, I, I think, you know, when we step back now uh, after a couple weeks, a few weeks to see what's going on, I think the biggest thing uh, that has emerged that may may be an unintended consequence and uh, is potentially, um, you know, extremely dangerous. And I, I personally think it's going to change the global order um, permanently or or at least for, oh. you know. Our, our lifetimes, is that, yeah. um, that the international community's response to Russian aggression, as well as Russian aggression in and of itself, has um, bound Russia to China in a way that is just, it's unprecedented. And, yeah. uh, and I'm not necessarily saying that the, you know, the, the so-called West is at fault, uh, for doing that. But, um, but Russia is now going to be entirely beholden to uh, the People's Republic of China. Uh, and so um, if, if they were somewhat equal uh, prior to this, the relationship has greatly changed where uh, the PRC will now eventually be calling the shots, I think, over Russia, certainly over its economy, And then once it has control of its economy, um, uh, you know, in particular, as a result of the sanctions, uh, then Russia is going to be a client state of of uh, China.
0: Very interesting point, Robert. And uh, that's actually the next subject that I I wanted to address. It's ironic in the sense that uh, Russia, by invading Ukraine, wanted to create a client state of its own, or I understand, actually absorbed Ukraine back into Russia. And as a result of doing that, uh, they are now going to become a de facto economic client state of China, potentially. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was looking at the economics of, of Russia and it, it, it's a it's an oil state. It really doesn't have anything beyond those natural resources. So in a sense, it's like Nigeria in a way, and it's corrupt at the same level. So they don't have a diversified economy they're, they're <clears throat> They are dependent on the one resource that they have. And uh, China, of course, is uh, one of their major trading partners and probably a major consumer of, of their oil resources. So just before we go on to China, because that, that is something that uh, I wanted to talk about, given what you've just described about Japan's rocky relationship with Russia, <clears throat> not very positive, it, looking forward, it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. Uh, you know, Would, would potentially Japan, uh, for example, uh, there is a there's thoughts now that Russia's only lifeline is its oil e- exports and maybe the US and EU would even even though it would hurt their economies begin to ban Russian oil from coming in would Japan be able to do that as well at this point, do you think. I, I think Japan, for
1: the most part, is going to follow what uh, the G seven and the international community wants to do. Okay, and um. And there's a strong push within Japan to restart, uh, you know, nuclear reactors and and rely more and more on on, on nuclear energy. And so this will give strength to those arguments, you know, for that as well. Um, So, you know, as as we both know, Japan's weathered, um, you know, oil uh, crises in the past before, and it'll find a way to it'll find a way to, to uh, get, get through this. Um, there are voices in Japan that are uh, somewhat sympathetic to Russia uh, for, you know, Russia's reasons for, you know, its actions, um, not so much from an ideological point of view, just from a, like a realist point of view. Um, and, you know, those people may have, you know, exercised some sway in public opinion, but I, I don't think they'll have a you know, big influence on, on the Japanese government.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's turn then to the, the issue that you uh, raised about China. The relationship between Japan and China uh, is a complicated one. Of course, the United States relationship with Japan is uh, influential in terms of how this all works among these three countries, but uh, at a high level, what do you see the incursion by the russians in ukraine what that impact would be on the japan china relationship and then i guess uh, uh, at least from i'm an american maybe this is i'm I'm overemphasizing this but uh, maybe not robert maybe you'll agree that the u.s relationship with japan is very important in terms of how japan looks at china
1: yeah i think um i think a lot of people in japan you know look at the parallels between you know the russian aggression in in the ukraine and the potential for uh chinese aggression uh in the taiwan strait uh and potentially uh you know against japan in the future um japan's become more and more aware of of um, prc-led political warfare uh against you know other countries you know such as those in the belt and road initiative or you know or against japan itself when um you know the elites of society are captured through you know bribery or other means um you know and so uh, then the political uh, world gets you know influenced and dependent on china the economic community uh gets uh gets dependent on china um You know, China practices something called uh, lawfare, where it unilaterally declares a law and expects other countries to uh, abide by it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's particularly true in in maritime matters. Um, So, uh, and, you know, information operations, all sorts of things that that China's doing. And they see that, uh, you know, a potential, you know, uh, Ukraine situation may happen uh, in East Asia. Um, And uh, so I think one of the big lessons for, you know, Taiwan, for example, as well as Japan is the importance of uh, civil defense, you know, being able to resist, uh, you know, any military aggression. And in the in the uh, Taiwan context, that's called the porcupine strategy. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And basically, you know, to make it uh, you make it so painful to attack Taiwan. Um, and, uh, this is what's you know, in, in
0: Ukraine right now, right?
1: It's exactly the,
0: the citizen yeah, they, soldiers are fighting back at a level that's surprising the entire world.
1: Right. And then the international community, you know, rallies, uh, alongside Ukraine. And that, that makes me a little bit concerned though, um, in this region, mm-hmm. uh, because Taiwan's not essentially internationally recognized as an independent nation which I believe it is and I, I, I firmly support you know Taiwan's uh, you know role in the international community and um, mm. whereas you know U- Ukraine even though Russia denies you know Ukraine's ex- uh, Russia or Putin denies Ukraine's existence um, it does have international recognition. Uh, whereas uh, Taiwan, uh, for the most part, uh, roughly a dozen countries and most of them, you know, very small island nations, um, you know, uh, only those few do. So, um, you know, whether the that, international that, of course, community... is because,
0: sorry to interrupt you, Robert, that's, in, mm. of course, the influence of the PRC. Exactly. You know, using um, economic and... bribery or, or threats or other forces of coercion to say you there's only one China and you need to recognize us and therefore you cannot recognize Taiwan.
1: Exactly. And the most and recent comes... example, the most recent example of that was uh, in Lithuania. And um, so uh, China put immense pressure on Lithuania for having, um, you know, uh, open diplomatic relations with Taiwan and because a lot of uh, Lithuanian um, uh, exports uh, you know, go to the European Union or vice versa, um, uh, the European Union uh, felt the pressure from China as well because of mm-hmm. Lithuania's activities in uh, diplomatic uh, support. And so uh, uh, you know well you, you may think well that's a small country, of course it's going to be vulnerable to it, but the same thing happens unfortunately in the United States uh, where china' is able to uh, put pressure on uh, all sorts of uh, entities, you know apple being one example or or uh the n b a or hollywood um, and so uh right. unfortunately um, unlike you know Russia, China is is i think uh, and some may disagree is less vulnerable to uh you know international economic sanctions than than russia is and um, so you know for example uh, the u s imports half a trillion dollars of goods from from china um, seven of the ten largest shipping ports are in are in china um, the uh, most of the, uh, you know, the international shipping uh, that the U.S. depends on uh, relies on uh, countries other than the United States and, in particular, uh, China. So, you know, at the end of World War II, mentioned uh, World War II earlier, um, the U.S. had uh, something like more than 60 percent of the world's uh, merchant marine. And now it's it's minimal, um, most of the other countries have it. So China, unfortunately, is going to be um, increasingly less vulnerable to economic sanctions. Uh, and then once you get this energy uh, you know, uh, angle to it with the connection with Russia, then uh, it's even more and more uh, independent in that regard.
0: Mm-hmm. So a couple of things, uh, Robert, I was thinking as you were speaking. Um, Obviously, depending on how this turns out, um, that would, I think, either increase or decrease the likelihood of tensions increasing between China and Thailand. For example, let's say Russia loses. You know, I'm not, I I don't think that that's highly likely, but there's a possibility that they actually lose this and uh, Putin falls as a result of this. I think that would be an object lesson for China. However, let's say Putin succeeds and Ukraine is absorbed and the world, you know, after uh, this occurs, moves on, as is always the case, you know, to other issues and so forth. So those are two different scenarios that I, I think would highly influence China in terms of their strategy, because it seems to me from what I've been able to pick up, China is really dancing a very fine line now about what to do with Russia, the economic issues that you raised earlier are, are incredibly important, but also China pretends to be a world leader economically and would like to see themselves in terms of politics. And very clearly the world is aligning itself against Russia on this and China's not doing that. So do you agree with me that how this actually plays out will influence China's strategy going forward?
1: I, I think very much, and I and I see both both sides, both arguments to it. Um, you know, some commentators I you know I, I respect that are uh, back in the in the states, for example, will say this has slowed down China's uh, efforts to uh, take Taiwan. Um, and there's always been an an argument I think in outside of China as well as within China about you know, the timing for that and whether, you know, and then the timing dictates whether it'll be by force or or peacefully. I think that the peaceful option is is basically off the table because of um, Taiwanese national identity. Uh, The longer, you know, it it continues in its uh, current state, uh, the more the Taiwanese people uh identify as Taiwanese and not as as Chinese uh it's just a generational you know shift away from that so yeah hey Robert um, I, I
0: I worked in Korea for a number of years as a GM and South Koreans say the same thing mm-hmm. that the North Korean people even though they're still family relations the the divergence is so wide now that they consider mm-hmm. it to be two separate states
1: right right very so yeah uh so You know, you could argue that uh, that's gonna put even more pressure on China to make a move uh, while uh, the, you know, the nationalist party still has some extent of influence within, you know, within Taiwan. Um, There's also another window that's not really talked about too much. And uh, a year ago, uh, actually today, in, here in Japan, March 8th, a year ago, uh, in Hawaii, uh, the um, the Indo-Pacific Command uh, commander at the time, uh, Admiral Davidson, was back in Washington, and he gave a, a presentation before the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee, and he mentioned that uh, China will likely make a move on Taiwan uh, within. 10 years, maybe within six years. And wow. nobody was able to explain the six year uh, concept or why six years. My mm. own research, I, I think it has to do with the fact that um, China has uh, essentially uh, a huge advantage in a space war right now. And you know, as, as we know in a modern war, uh, we're very dependent on satellites and you know for gps communications and whatnot Mm -hmm. and china has the ability to take out uh allied or u.s satellites uh very easily and you know you've heard about um you know the launching of equipment into space with space arms that can Mm -hmm. you know help remove space garbage uh and whatnot but i I think there's a
0: japanese startup in that area
1: yeah, um, but it also has another function to knock out, uh, oh. <laughs> you know, enemy uh, satellites. So in this case, from a PRC perspective, U.S., mm. Japanese, other allied satellites, and so mm. uh, China has the potential to make the U.S. blind in a in a Taiwan Straits contingency, um, mm-hmm. and the U.S. and this is public knowledge, the U.S. won't be able to deploy and um, essentially a satellite defense system, protection system in this regard uh, for about six years. So so that's probably where Admiral Davidson got the six years thing. Uh, In other words, China's had an advantage during this time. And then going back to Japan, uh, the US-Japan-Taiwan relationship Uh, is called like a shared destiny. And that's very, very true, except that triangular relationship is at its weakest point between Taiwan and Japan. Mm. Uh, In other words, there's no legal, diplomatic, uh, political or defense relationship between Taiwan and Japan. Mm. So the United States and Japan has the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty, Uh, that has been in existence for 70 years this year Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, the u.s and taiwan have the taiwan relations act uh, for the past 43 years but between japan and taiwan there's no no similar agreement and japan is a very legalistic country as you know it won't do anything unless there's a legal basis to it and Mm -hmm. um, i've been encouraging japan for the past four years that it needs to create a a Taiwan Relations Act, um, Mm -hmm. that would then allow Japan uh, from its interpretation to have uh, more formal relations with Taiwan, to Mm -hmm. do, uh, you know, mill to mill interactions, um, to help welcome Taiwan to, for example, the naval exercises called uh, RIMPAC, or to do Mm -hmm. other sorts of, um, you know, uh, activities. So, uh, yeah, yeah this, is, this is really changing up the uh, global order as well as the regional order.
0: Yeah, I noticed, and uh, maybe because of your influence, Robert, uh, that the, some Japanese politicians are beginning to publicly state that the relationship between Japan and Taiwan needs to strengthen. But just as you pointed out with Lithuania, China is Japan's largest trading partner, uh, and if Japan was to move in that direction, I, China would respond with economic threats, I'm sure. So this is the the balance that all countries who are doing business with China, which is the majority of the world, they have their economic interests and then they may have their political interests that uh, could be misaligned. Even if you think about Japan's relationship to the U.S. and China too, they're kind of caught between economic interests and political interests as well. But that, that's a entirely other show, and you've probably written a book on that subject, Robert, or well, many articles.
1: I, yeah, thank you. I, I would like to mention, though, that there is a conscious effort in Japan, uh, led by the Prime Minister's Office, to uh, shift uh, Japan away from the dependency on China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we saw during the um, the COVID crisis, uh, the uh, supply chain issue. Uh, became very prominent and as a result they created a position for economic security minister uh, in the form of um, minister Kobayashi and Mm -hmm. so there's a a clear effort by Japan to to shift the supply chains so if anyone listening to this in Hawaii or uh, Kones uh, is interested in that yeah definitely get in touch with the show and give you more information
0: okay Robert, we have run out of time. Um, This has just flown by. So thank you so much for your informed opinions and your explanation of these relationships that are ongoing in Asia. I'm sure our viewers are coming away with this, having a much better understanding of this dynamic part of the world, the Asian part of the world. And uh, I look forward to having you back on the show in the future to uh, talk about this issue or many other issues as well.
1: Thank you very much. much. Thank you. Aloha.
0: All right, all right. thank you, that's a wrap for us. Um, Next uh, show, we're we're gonna be moving in a slightly less controversial uh, area. We're gonna be talking about Japanese baseball. Since there's no baseball in America right now, I thought I'd create a show for you baseball fans to be able to learn about Japanese baseball. We'll have a former player uh, on the show and a friend of mine who uh, is kind of a historian. Uh, chronicle of current Japanese baseball activity. So that'll be in a couple of weeks. Uh, Tune in for that. Again, Robert, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Bye-bye, everyone. Aloha.